Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Da-da. With episode 525 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. It is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to break down everything that happened over the last week across NXT and AEW. NXT does have deadline coming up in a couple weeks, whereas AEW World's End is still a month away. Nevertheless, we have a ton to talk about from all four shows this past week. Let's not waste any time getting into this particular show. Allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also DM and tweet questions and comments to the show that we will read on the air. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling. I did miss a couple of those this week. I was out Tuesday and Wednesday night. Very difficult uh, to do those audios in an instant reaction type of standpoint when you're not there to do an instant reaction. So we had to skip a couple, but I think you all know we do them as frequently as we can. Also exclusive news posts every Friday and additional news and analysis as necessary throughout the week. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would appreciate having you as an official getting overhead as you support this show financially. One quick additional reminder before we get into NXT and AEW this week. I hope everyone listened to our last two episodes. First, we had our WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis Saturday. Shortly after that show went off the air, you do not want to miss that. And of course, on Tuesday, we had our huge WWE episode primarily discussing the return of CM Punk. Triple H's thoughts on the matter, the decision-making, really all aspects of it, along with a big storyline involving potentially Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre related to CM Punk, perhaps not related to CM Punk. There's a lot to discuss about him, and there will be even more to discuss about CM Punk and WWE this coming Tuesday on our next show. But that is not why we are here today. We are here to talk NXT and AEW. And I'll tell you guys straight up, I watched five hours of AEW on Thursday. That's how busy my life has been. I had to catch up completely before I taped the show, which is why I'm taping it in the evening and why it got released so late. But we have a ton to discuss there. Not as much to talk about with NXT. So let's start with NXT. We'll go to AEW next. Remember, there are timestamps in the episode description. So if you need to jump around for one reason or another, you can do so. But of course, I hope you listen to the entire show. So again, starting with NXT, we had NXT Anonymous release a video that showed Lexus King stalking Trick Williams and chasing after him the night that he was ambushed and lost the title opportunity. Trick and Carmelo Hayes went nuts backstage. They were really angry that Lexus tried to take Williams out and split them up. Plus, he cost Melo his qualifying match last week. Don't forget that. He tried to get Trick, Melo did, to gang up on King, but Williams didn't want to be distracted because he had the Iron Survivor Challenge coming up. 
and he wanted all his focus to be on that. Mello said he didn't have a distraction like that, and he still wanted revenge. But Trick made him agree that they were past that stuff. It's interesting to me how NXT keeps showing us here and there through a variety of different scenarios how they aren't on the same page, even though they both seemingly want to be. And clearly that's going to play into a storyline for most likely deadline, but probably coming out of it, one would assume going in to stand and deliver WrestleMania weekend. Brooks Jensen fought Lexus King. Josh Briggs was celebrating his qualification for Iron Survivor when King showed up suggesting he deserved some credit because he helped him beat Mello. But King put Briggs over. Then he tried but failed to flirt with Fallon Henley, congratulating her for her qualification as well. He next talked some shit to Jensen for not being chosen, and that led to the match. Mello left backstage in the middle of this match, so obviously he was going to interfere, which he did a bit later. Mello ran to ringside, chased by a ton of referees, and got knocked off the apron by Briggs. King caught Jensen with the coronation and got the win. It wasn't even a distraction finish. I think Jensen messed up and played it wrong. Mello screamed at Lexus after the bell, but nothing really came of it. This worked. It wasn't unique or anything, and I didn't understand. Why is it when Mello was running into this match, there's people trying to stop him, but when Lexus King ran in last week, no one tried to stop him. That doesn't really compute. It should be equal every single time. Wesley, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, and Cameron Grimes had a fatal four-way match, which was a North American Championship qualifier or really an eliminator in many ways for Wesley specifically. Wes needed to win in order to fight Dominic Mysterio for the title, but if he lost, he would never be able to challenge for it again. The three main roster challengers all got video packages before the match. Lee said it was high risk, high reward, but it was well worth it. Everyone teamed up to take out Reed, but Bronson urinagied Wes into Johnny. Then Gargano did a tilt-a-whirl, pushing Grimes' face right into Reed's crotch. It was really loud, uh, and there was a funny holy shit chant that came from the crowd when that happened. Grimes did a double huracarana of Lee and Gargano as they dodged each other in a huge sequence, with Wes hitting Bronson with a tope suicida through the corner outside. Gargano then hit three tope suicidas, taking out each competitor with a really sick sell by Grimes. Wes jumped off Johnny's back for a meteora on Grimes, only to get caught doing the same to Reed, who had a Death Valley driver. Bronson then got all three guys on him, hitting a triple Samoan drop fallaway slam, really cool spot. The faces combined for a triple powerbomb of Bronson off the ropes. Wes and Grimes botched and then hit the Spanish crossbody. Reed hit a buckle bomb and sentons before throwing Lee off the top rope into the faces. Ivar suddenly ran and out of nowhere. He stopped the tsunami. They battled to the back. Grimes then caught Gargano with Caven, only to immediately eat cardiac kick when standing up, with Wesley getting the win. This was a hell of a match and a terrific main event. Not only that, the continuation of the Raw storyline with Bronson and Ivar, it made me feel better about how that went on Monday, even though still I did not like that match during Raw. But it was a smart way to take Reed out of this. And the ending sequence with the consecutive finishers, that was immensely smart. The one problem is that this was almost certainly far better than the deadline match we are going to get for the actual title. You know, I don't love that. I always like the big match being, or the best match being the big match, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Gargano was the MVP here. It was notable. His arm was in a sleeve. Hopefully it's not a serious injury. Grimes was also fantastic, which makes it frustrating, of course, that he's used so inconsistently on SmackDown. And when he does get used, he gets five minutes. All in all, this was an excellent main event. It was better than every non-War Games match on Survivor Series. And it was the best match of the week for any brand on television. 4.25 stars and an A. Ilya Dragunov fought Nathan Frazier backstage in a lounge. 
Frazier and Axiom were discussing the Dragunov, Baron Corbin package from last week, with Frazier saying he's not sure he would sacrifice as much as Dragunov has. Ilya overheard him and took it as disrespect, so they got into an argument that led to a match. As they were talking, we saw Boa and Dante Chen in full face paint. Frazier got his soul suplexed out of his body, but avoided Constantine Special and hit a flip over inverted DDT. Dragunov then avoided Phoenix Splash, hitting a powerbomb and the H-bomb. He gave up on the cover, though, and hit two more H-bombs while screaming in Frazier's face during the 1-2-3. He literally looked like a dragon breathing fire at this guy, right on his victim. Dragunov yelled more after the bell. Frazier sold it like absolute death, but Dragunov did offer a hand because they're both baby faces. But before Frazier could take it, Corbin interrupted on the Titantron, basically saying his life being better is factual and he can't argue with that. Corbin said his goal was to have everything and leave Dragunov with nothing, and he'd even fly him first class back home to Germany. This video was one of the best things that Corbin has done in years. Meanwhile, Ilya is just top tier in every possible way. We were 80 minutes into NXT at this point, and these back-to-back segments were easily the best part of the show. Did not expect I'd actually be hyped for a match between these two, but here we are. This is going to be a worthy title match on deadline. And by the way, yes, for anyone questioning, I'm pretty sure the deal with Dragunov is that he is Russian, but moved to Germany, emigrated to Germany, and his family lives in Germany. So I think that's the situation of why they kept bringing that up. Lyra Valkyria backstage put over the Iron Survivor qualifiers when Henley came up, telling her that she would come out on top. Then a refreshed Tatum Paxley creepily showed up behind a curtain saying it didn't matter who won because Lyra would beat them. Neither woman seemed to really recognize her or care, but it was obviously Paxley doing like a deeper goth type of gimmick. Been a while since she's actually gotten TV time. I've seen her once or twice on Level Up. I don't watch that regularly, but I've seen clips. She looked pretty damn good. So interested to see whether she's actually improved significantly in the ring and adding her to this division would certainly be something positive. Uh, Tag team championship, D'Angelo family against Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. The champions attacked on the ramp with Stax hitting a Tope Con Hero early. Much later, the challengers came back with a doomsday style missile dropkick powerbomb. Stax then ate a low blow while distracted, plus a double underhook pile driver. But he kicked out with a low blow Roman Reign style. The family then hit bada bing bada boom for the win. Fun match, expected finish given the family just won the titles back. I would have preferred this to go down at deadline with a title change, but obviously that's not the plan. Just curious to see what they bubble up for that show. Eddie Thorpe fought Braun Breaker in a men's Iron Survivor qualifier. Breaker basically dominated this entire match and won with a spear. Thorpe did hit a series of suplexes in the late part of the match, but Braun easily bounced back from them with the spear and then got the win. Definitely the right move having him in the match. I don't remember how the qualifiers went last year, but they've been real lackluster this year across both the men and the women. Kalani Jordan fought Kiana James in the women's Iron Survivor qualifier. James at the 401k, but didn't go for the cover as Roxanne Perez started ringing the bell. Jordan caught James blind with a kick and then hit her perfect split leg moonsault for the win. Match was strong. It was a good look for Kalani, but the finish lacked in intensity because the bell ring was odd and it just took, took the crowd away from it. I'm not sure Kalani is the right call for this match. She's still immensely green and you really want strong wrestlers in a match this complicated, but they do practice them. So... I'm sure she'll come across well. Roxy back in the locker room was proud. She cost Kiana her shot only for Ava randomly to inform her there'd be a last chance qualifier next week. Good. Perez got all excited about that when a random woman told her that James would 
absolutely destroy her and beat her. That led to a scuffle with Kiana jumping in, and then it all just kind of got cut off. The acting here was awful, but good to hear that there's a chance for Roxy to get into this match. She does need to be involved. They also did a brawl in the parking lot to end NXT. That was way better than this in every possible way. I almost wish like Roxy was informed in an interview about the last chance qualifier, and then they attacked each other in the parking lot to end the show. It just would have been much easier. Alpha Academy cut a group promo backstage, angry at Metaphor, given how the Heritage Cup transpired. They challenged to a six-person mixed tag team match for next week, which Metaphor later accepted. This will be fun. The factions have worked together really well to this point. Andre Chase held the Chase U press conference, saying his statement would be limited because there's an ongoing investigation into suspicious and illegal activity, such as gambling and misuse of university funds, which has landed Chase U in debt. Chase admitted all the allegations are true. And he would do whatever he can to rebuild the university's reputation and ensure it stays open. This was less interesting than I actually expected, given all the build. But we're going to have to see where it goes. I would probably pop if they do a play on like the hangover and have Duke Hudson win all the money back with his poker skills, because obviously that was his old gimmick. So he like puts back on like the jacket or whatever that weird thing he was wearing. They do poker. He wins a bunch of money. Maybe it's at a D'Angelo family underground poker room or something like that. That would be cool. I don't know if they're going to do that. It just makes a lot of sense. And I do think that would be funny. Joe Gacy published a video. He was clearly shooting from underneath the ring, saying people think he's lower than them. So he needed to get a better perspective. Gacy said being beneath people is where he's wanted. And it's hard dealing with his new perspective, but he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. I'm not sure why this version of Gacy is hitting for me more than the others. But this was an extremely unique, really inventive promo given the location. It's still just word salad, though, coming from him. And that's the only thing preventing this from being even more interesting. We had Carmen Petrovic against Ariana Grace. Petrovic got a karate promo before the match. It was fine. Gacy popped out from under the ring during this match and stole the ring bell running backstage. Grace eventually won via distraction with a thumb to the eye over the referee's back and a simple like front slam out of a fireman's carry. I think it was... Uh, Wasteland, Wade Barrett's finisher, if memory serves. Gacy rang the bell manically in the crowd after the count, and Ariana looked back at him seemingly confused. Interesting enough, weird to do two gimmicks with the ring bell in the same show. The match was nothing special at all. They're both immensely green. So look, that's NXT this week. A good episode, a bounce back from the taped episode. I forgot if that was last week or the week before. Solid, worth watching. You know, there was a period of time where NXT was running immensely hot. I do believe they have to... That, that main roster infusion of talent really helps. And like Alpha Academy, while they're fun, they ain't it. And Dominic Mysterio is fine, but that's not really what we're talking about. It's like the Becky Lynch caliber talent. I'm not saying it needs to be Becky or it needs to be another top woman or top man like that, but they need to bring someone down there that's just going to get the juices going in the show again. It's just, it's lost that. And it even... When that main roster talent was there, like when Becky Lynch was down there, even when she didn't show up on the episodes, the shows were still really, really good. The last couple of weeks, they're just losing something. And I think it's largely because they're trying to infuse a lot of new names and faces into the show. And when you're doing that, naturally, the quality is going to go down because you're putting more developmental talent in and you're removing developed talent that is coming out. And obviously, there have been multiple main roster call ups of late. So NXT just kind of needs to find its groove a little bit again. It's still a good show, but it's not running as hot as it was a couple months ago. That's pretty much what I'm trying to say. So with that, let's go ahead, move to AEW. Again, five hours to discuss all here. And let's remember that Rampage and Collision 
pretty much aired during Survivor Series on Saturday. But just straight up off the top, let me just tell you this. Dynamite, very entertaining quality show. Collision and Rampage, I, it felt to me like a total waste of three hours of my life. Like both shows. And Rampage was worse than Collision, but neither was worthwhile. So let's go ahead and get into it. MJF came out 45 minutes into Dynamite, still limping with a cane, saying he doesn't like Samoa Joe, but respects him because he didn't join AEW to line his pockets, but improve the company. He talked about Joe being dominant in TNA and then said his talents weren't recognized and he wasn't afforded a chance to be champion in WWE, which got light booze. I will address that ridiculousness in a moment. MJF then thanked him for breaking the mold and paving the way before turning it, saying World's End is about his legacy, not Joe's. MJF said the only way to beat him at World's End would be to put him down, and he broke the cane over his knee, I guess, saying he doesn't need it anymore. Now, what I didn't mention yet is that MJF earlier in the week, I want to say Tuesday, it's possible it was Wednesday, mentioned that he has a torn labrum in his shoulder. And he may not have said torn, but it's at least an injury in his labrum. And that was suffered uh, during the Jay White match when he took the Uranagi out of the corner, apparently he hurt his shoulder. You'll remember earlier in the match or a different part during the match, he injured his hip, which is why he's had the cane doing that elbow drop outside onto the floor, basically, because the table collapsed, the announce table. So this guy's dealing with two injuries now. He's going to go fight Samoa Joe in the main event of a pay-per-view. And he's telling us that he has these injuries. It's one thing to have them and for it to be hidden. But we know because we're quote unquote, you know, smart fans. We're, we're into what's going on and, and we learned all the information. MJF's putting out there that he has a torn labrum. Now, maybe it's real. Maybe it's sympathy, you know, for kayfabe. We'll find out. But what we're now knowing going into this match is MJF is going to fight Samoa Joe. The devil is out there and he has two major injuries. And let's remember, he did the entire Jay White match on one leg. So now if he beats Samoa Joe the same way with all these obstacles, you know, we may have the continued issue going on is what I'm trying to explain to you. Anyway, let's continue with what happened. The lights went out uh, and then flashing lights filled the ring with four dudes wearing all black with devil mask logos on their backs attacking MJF. They basically did nothing as one was about to hit MJF with a bat. Joe immediately made the save. The screen then froze and went completely black in a huge production mistake before words were typed on the screen. In the shadows, our game begins next week. MJF and Samoa Joe, will you face the unknown in a tag match? Are you a hero, Max? Joe yelled at MJF to relax and not accept the challenge because he wants him fresh and 100% for the match, as he stated last week. MJF didn't listen. After the break, commentary told us that this group clearly has access to AEW's audio and lights. Yeah, clearly, we saw that happen. Okay, one thing at a time. MJF putting over Joe was cool because Joe deserves to be put over. He deserves as much recognition as possible. He's awesome. But Joe didn't really break down any doors like MJF was suggesting. There were large, non-bodybuilder, small guys, you know, height, weight, whatever the case, non-bodybuilder guys who broke through before him, champions included, and there have been plenty after him, and they weren't because of Samoa Joe. He's amazing. I want to be very clear. He's great. But it was an exceptionally weird promo concept to give him credit for all of that. The WWE line was not only unnecessary and tribalistic, it was completely incorrect. Joe is a multi-time NXT champion. On the main roster, he had a top title feud with Brock Lesnar and was in multiple other world title matches that even main evented pay-per-views. The only reason his career in WWE went off the rails 
was because of multiple injuries in succession. And then eventually he came back. He was doing something really cool in NXT and WWE and Vince McMahon did the whole slate of pandemic releases. And he was injured in NXT, I believe at the time as champion. So they released him again. His release from WWE was idiotic, no doubt. The All the criticized releases that I discussed over the years, Swerve and Samoa Joe are, I want to say one and two on the list. There's probably someone else I'm forgetting, but they're at least both in the top five of my heaviest criticisms. And I'm pretty sure they're one and two, Swerve being number one. So I'm in agreement that WWE releasing him was stupid but he was absolutely afforded a chance to be a champion in kayfabe. And in reality too, he was a main eventer. He was right there with the rest of the champions. His talents were absolutely recognized in WWE. So that's just pure unadulterated bullshit from MJF right there, trying to get a cheap pop by shitting on WWE. As for the content of the promo, MJF is a babyface. It's beginning to lose me. He's just nowhere near as compelling as when he's a full heel. Putting over AEW and his upcoming opponent and making like snarky baby face comments, it's like using 20% of his abilities. I, I want more and I don't want this. Now onto the attack. They didn't hurt him at all. I was fine with the main huge guy not landing a bat shot because you want to do the Joe save. But they should have beat him down a little bit first, like three minutes of a beat down. Then he goes to end him with the bat and Samoa Joe makes the save. No one should be blamed for getting retribution vibes from all of this. Obviously, it was not the same idea or intent, but the comparison is easy to make the way it transpired and the fact that it didn't matter at all. It was also strange that this group has some major message and that major message is, let's do a tag team match. (laughs) Like, that's what they had to say. They took over the whole broadcast for a tag team challenge. What struck me was MJF being called Max at the end of it, which seems to be another hint that the devil is Adam Cole. Wardlow fought AR Fox. Wardlow came out in the very next segment with his hair all messed up. He took a tope before the bell and caught Fox and hit a power slam into the ring apron. Wardlow kicked out at one after a 450 splash and hit three power bombs plus a swanton bomb. The referee just called the match via stoppage. The idea behind the messy hair I mentioned a minute ago is that he probably just took off a head covering a ski mask, something like that, from being one of the devil's minions from the segment before. It did seem like Wardlow was the larger person uh, with the bat in that segment. Uh, Continental Classic, there were, let me do a quick count, six matches, uh, three each on Collision slash Rampage and Dynamite. On Rampage, Daniel Garcia cut a promo. Actually, I'm sorry, they were all on Collision, but Garcia had a promo on Rampage, sitting in the arena seat saying it felt like He's been involved in huge matches recently, and his confidence is at an all-time low coming off those three big losses as we discussed last week. Garcia said he was insulted hearing that he's in the Continental Classic to eat pins and be a fodder for stars, and he was ready to prove all that wrong. This might have been the best thing Garcia's ever done, like outside of the ring in AEW. Extremely strong promo, exactly what we talked about last week as a potential direction. I didn't like the idea of him talking about himself eating pins, which is a very break the fourth wall, wrestling is fake type of deal, but the general concept of the promo was right on point. On Collision, Garcia fought Claudio Castagnoli in a blue match. Uh, Claudio hit two big pop-up European uppercuts and the Ricola bomb for the win in about 10 minutes. Good match overall. My hope was that coming out of Garcia's promo, he would get this win. Maybe the idea is that he'll lose all the matches except for the last one where he picks up like 
some big impressive win, and then starts a streak. There's just got to be something of value for him coming out of this. On collision, Eddie Kingston fought Brody King in a blue match. Before the match, Kingston put over the importance of the tournament by again stating he gave up two titles he cared about. I'll repeat and state again, that just comes off as stupid. No one made him relinquish those titles or put them on the line in this tournament. But Eddie's promo was fun, and he basically had no desire to do it whatsoever, which made it even more fun. There was definitely some meaty action in this match, no question. Oh, reinforce the ring post. The beat's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. Kingston ate a crossbody into the barricade, then did his chops and blindsided King with a spinning back fist for a false finish. Eddie hit a few suplexes and kicked out of a pile driver, even though his foot was under the ropes. Kingston countered a lariat with a spinning back fist, but King barely sold it and hit Dante's Inferno for the win. We saw on Dynamite a tape promo from Kingston saying everything needs to be earned. And with Brian Danielson next, He's officially behind the eight ball. He's humble in victory, but he's also humble in defeat. This was a perfect tournament match, nearly 17 minutes, hard hitting, high quality action, different in style than most of what we're going to see in this tournament. Disagree with Brody winning only because Eddie just put those titles into the field and cut two promos about it earlier in the show and then lost right away. He probably should have won his first match or first couple of matches based on what he gave up entering and then go on a losing streak. And then you can do, hey, am I really letting this slip away from me? That would have made more sense. But I don't think having Brody win was the worst decision, just not what I would have done. 3.5 stars and a B. On Dynamite, John Moxley fought Jay Lethal in a gold match. Mox collapsed to avoid lethal injection, but he actually baited him for paradigm shift. Then he had a lariat and pile driver before rolling him into a rear naked choke for the submission win. Brian was on commentary cheering him on. I was bored until the finish. That was quick and a lot of fun. And Mox now has a knee injury in kayfabe. He's going to sell that for the remainder of the tournament. Mox remains massively over. Got a real nice reaction coming out of this. And now he leads with six points. I do wish Paradigm Shift was still a finisher. It is strange how many people kick out of it now. The Kingston promo aired after this match, the one I mentioned before. And Danielson then cut one of his own on commentary, basically saying he refused to be humble like Eddie because his goal was to kick the shit out of everyone and win the tournament. The point being, he's coming back from a fractured orbital bone and is going to make the most out of it. Great from Danielson, even if it was short, but it was to the point. He's the favorite of the entire tournament, so it made sense for him to speak, and he remains perhaps the most underrated promo in the entire industry. We've talked about that before. On Dynamite, Mark Briscoe fought Roosh in a gold match. This was immensely hard-hitting. Actually surprised me. Briscoe hit the froggy bow, but Roosh caught him with a toss suplex into the corner, a huge elbow to the face, and bull's horns for the win. Really fun, 3.5 stars in B. Nothing much to take away from it. On Dynamite, Swerve Strickland fought Jay White in a gold match. This was the main event. Swerve showed out with a nice athletic sequence ending in a delayed vertical suplex. He snapped White's arm backward. White tried cheating. Swerve caught him with house call and a Swerve stomp for a false finish. He came back with Blade Runner, but Swerve rolled outside to prevent a cover. Swerve then countered Blade Runner into a really tight cover and got the win. Excellent match. The right winner. Swerve now joins Mox with six points atop that gold uh, leaderboard, I guess you want to call it. Swerve does not have to be undefeated, but he should win the vast majority of his matches in this tournament, especially while he's on an upswing. White just lost to a one-legged MJF, so him losing here was totally fine. Seems like we might get a psychotic break storyline with White coming up, which would make a lot of sense because he's taking multiple losses. Any other result here, meaning Swerve not winning, would have been ridiculous. Solid main event, the best AEW match of the entire week by a large margin, four stars, A-. minus. On collision, kill switch squashed the boys in 80 seconds of the lariat. 
His mask and shoulder pad was now black and silver. He took about an hour trying to do a concerto when Adam Copeland's music hit and he ran in from behind, hitting Killswitch with like 10 chair shots to the back before ripping off a steel pole from a chair and doing a crossface for five seconds, then hitting a concerto. As Copeland celebrated, cameras showed Killswitch actually rising up. So Copeland hit a stomp onto the chair and a second concerto. Copeland remained enraged backstage saying the concertos were Christian Cage's fault and his own ego cost him their friendship and he screamed into the camera more and more. He said he'd take the TNT title because it's the most important thing to Christian and challenged him for Dynamite in Montreal next week. Copeland did look cool here. He was all enraged, wearing black leather, kind of badass. It seems like a pretty quick turn for Killswitch and Nick Wayne to already be taken out with concertos, but they're building for this match and they want Christian to look vulnerable, so it makes sense. The promo backstage was far better than what happened in the ring, but it also went on about like 90 seconds too long. It was really repetitive. Should be a hot match in front of a hot crowd next week. I don't think Copeland's going to win the title, but we will find out. On Dynamite, Christian called out Copeland for a confrontation with five weak-ass security guards around him. When Copeland came out, Cage pushed them away and said they won't make it to Montreal in a match because he's sorry. Hopefully I got the Canadian accent right there. Christian said he's not apologizing because he's alone now and screwed up Luchasaurus's name. He called him Luchasaurus instead of Killswitch. He called them the greatest tag team and talked about Copeland having a single mother with no father figure, saying their brothers and his father filled that role for Copeland. He pulled on the heartstrings further, saying they should team up again as Copeland's mom wished before she died. Christian then did the worst belt shot attempt I've probably ever seen, only to get caught with a low blow by Copeland. He said the title would come home, and then he said, go fuck yourself, which aired in full on TBS because censors missed it by a full 10 seconds. It was one of six or eight production errors on Dynamite on Wednesday. Nice segment overall, very cheap pop with the curse, largely went as expected. I'm just tired of the meandering Christian segments and I have been for months now, but that said, I definitely understand why some of you like it more than I do. On Collision, Don Callis backstage with Powerhouse Hobbs said he's in Mensa with 173 IQ and can't figure out how Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega got a tag team title match. I mean, look, I criticize AEW's booking plenty. They explained this Crystal clear on TV, so I don't, I don't know what he's confused about. Callis said all he needed to take them down was Hobbs, who repeated that he's big, black, and jacked. I thought they were doing something different with Hobbs and like making him cool, but he's literally in the exact same role as he was before, just repeating a different catchphrase. Also, what happened to the rest of the family? Like, shouldn't Hobbs be teaming with Kyle Fletcher or Kanosuke Takeshi or someone? On Collision, Ricky Starks and Big Bill came out for an interview. Starks talked some shit about Chris Jericho, and Bill told his story about overcoming alcohol abuse and making it back to the top. Then Bill went on a rant about a bunch of Chicago Bulls, and I gotta tell you, I try to be really detailed with these breakdowns. They lost me on this segment. It felt like one non sequitur after another. I liked the way it started with Starks kind of saying they barely knew each other, and there was like a bit of comedy there, and I was hoping they would keep building on that. Like, do you know how old I am? Do you know where I'm from? Like, they, but they didn't. And that was the most entertaining part of the entire thing. So this was disappointing. On Dynamite, Tony Schiavone announced that AEW Revolution, where Sting will have his last match, will be held at the Greensboro Coliseum on Sunday, March 3rd. Then we saw Sting and Ric Flair reminiscing about their 45-minute match there back in the day. This went like five minutes. It should have been two minutes. Certainly sounds like the right location for Flair's last match. But I didn't think Sting had any connection to North Carolina. He's a California guy, right? almost makes it feel like it's more about flair than sting, which is why adding him to this final storyline continues to not make much sense for me. And it's also weird that 
Sting's going through this, and look, it's it's November, and that match is in March. So Darby Allen's going to come back and will be a big part of this, I'm sure. But it's weird that like Darby's gone now, and Sting still can't be by himself. He has to be, you know, attached to Ric Flair every single time he's on screen. It's just weird for me. On Dynamite, Tony Storm was laying on her couch, informed she will defend the title next week. No challenger was named. No storyline was provided. Literally, nothing. Zero point zero. Later backstage, Mariah May was outside Tony Khan's office, seemingly flirting and excited that she got a meeting with him and she was ready to ask for her debut match. This was far better comparatively than the Storm segment. It is curious why she's been on TV for a month and still hasn't had a match. And that's just one question I have about the women's booking. We'll talk about the rest in a moment. On Rampage, Hook beat Rocky Romero with Red Rum and a knockout win. It was okay. Nothing special. On Rampage, ROH Pure title, Katsuyori Shibata against Wheeler Yuta before the match. Yuta got a taped promo about wanting to regain his identity, which is the title. It was super passionate and maybe one of Yuta's best ever, but it was also just kind of tough to take him seriously. Maybe that's just me. Wheeler pushed Shibata into the referee hit him with a low blow, and then a spike DDT plus the seatbelt cover to win the title. Shibata hesitated to do the Code of Honor handshake after the bell, so Yuta just straight up kicked him in the balls and then hit a second spike DDT. Hook came out after the bell for the save, and then Tony Schiavone gave him a sting announce. It's Hook! And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? The match was fine, but unspectacular. Booking makes it okay, I guess, because Shibata had to run back to Japan for a personal reason, Gives him a clear case for a rematch when he comes back, but they're also basically doing like the head injury story that caused him to retire in the first place, which makes it immensely heelish by Yuta. That's a positive. The crowd didn't really seem to care much, or maybe they didn't even pick up on the scenario. It was something like that. On Collision, Commander and Gravity fought House of Black. I wonder how this match went. Uh, Commander did his tightrope stuff. The heels got knees up on simultaneous high-risk moves. They hit stereo knee lifts and then methodically picked both guys apart until Buddy Matthews hit a stomp for the win. Not much else to say here. On Collision, FTR defeated the Righteous with Shatter Machine. They got time, and the wrestling was fine, but it was unspectacular. Malachi Black then started cutting a promo, walking out into the crowd, saying no one was coming to their aid. Not Cesaro. He messed up. He meant to say Claudio. And not CM Punk. Ironic that this aired alongside Survivor Series on Saturday. So CM Punk actually got mentioned on WWE and AEW on the exact same night. The lights went out, uh, some weird lights then went on in the ring, and the heels were gone. This was definitely something that happened on Saturday night. Feud should be great from a match standpoint, high work rate, but we're going to have to see if they make it compelling at all. On Collision, Keith Lee fought Lee Moriarty. Back from commercial, Keith won with Big Bang Catastrophe. This played into the Shane Taylor story as Moriarty joined his promotions group. Keith put Moriarty over after the match backstage, but said he's focused on taking care of business. I thought they had dropped this storyline for Keith, but I guess not. They just need to end it now. Match was actually disappointing, given their talent level, but I'm worried about Keith's long-term ability to like actually compete in matches that matter going forward. On Rampage, the Kingdom beat two jobbers in 70 seconds with a frog splash. They cut an awful promo about Roderick Strong and again claimed MJF is the devil. Zero interest in these guys. On Rampage, Chris Statlander beat Diamante with a discus lariat after Diamante dominated the whole match, and Mercedes Martinez coached her up throughout. The heels attacked after. Willow Nightingale made the save. Pretty standard. On Rampage, there was a TBS title match. Julia Hart against Lady Frost. Change the champion? Keep the booking. Julia won with Heartless against a non-contracted talent that got a title match for no reason whatsoever. Absolutely dreadful. And then on Dynamite, another TBS championship match. Julia Hart against Emi Sakura 
House rules, though. Commentary said that Julia announced she would use these rules on collision. I missed that, so that's on me. Or they're lying and they didn't actually say it. The gimmick this time was that she could not win via submission. Let me point this out. Emi Sakura was 0-9 in AEW TV singles matches this year, yet she got a title shot out of nowhere. Hart avoided a moonsault and locked in Heartless with Sakura tapping. Because that could not end the match, she gave her a forearm to the back of the head and completely missed a moonsault with Sakura way too close in the corner for her to actually hit it. So let's just wrap up the women's division booking across five hours of AEW television this week. We got three short matches, none of which had any build. Two of them were title matches featuring challengers that neither deserved shots nor had any reasons to get them in kayfabe. We got two short backstage segments adjacent to Tony Storm, who neither has a challenger for her title nor a storyline to build her title. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. I mean, whether it's Chris Statlander, whether it's Julia Hart, the TBS, whether it's Jade Cargill, the, the TBS title is being treated the exact same way. They refuse to make any effort. And then you have a new women's champion and you're not building number one contenders for that title. It just, it's a pile of shit, the women's booking. That is one big pile of shit. On Collision, Darius Martin and Action Andretti were cutting a promo backstage that was literally interrupted by an NBA commercial. Then it came back and Dante Martin returned and it cut to a Fernando Roche commercial. I don't even know how to say that. So I just assumed they were a trio. And yes, AEW did re-air it later in the show. But I mean, again, I mentioned there were like eight production mistakes across Dynamite and Collision this week. This was one of them. On Dynamite, the Hardys and Isaiah Cassidy fought Top Flight and Andretti. Dante ate an electric chair missile dropkick. Darius interrupted Whisper in the Wind outside with Andretti hitting a moonsault at ringside. Cassidy then ate a German suplex, followed by an underhook Uranagi with Dante getting the win in his return match. Surprisingly loud pop coming out of this. The fans totally bought into the storyline. Pentagon, Vikingo, and I think it was Drillistico confronted them backstage afterwards wanting a trios match. will be interesting to see if they can keep this momentum. They would be a cool underdog trio to go after the titles once the heels take them from the acclaimed at some point. And I actually had to look up who the trio's champions were because I just completely forgot it was acclaimed. They've been off TV. And even when they were on TV, they were just in bullshit trios matches. So there you go. Guess what? The, the acclaimed are still AEW trios champions. And folks, look, that's it for this week across NXT and AEW. I told you it was not a massively eventful week. Next week will be more so. We'll have an NXT deadline ultimate preview, which of course will be huge and will cover everything in the world of AEW. That is next Thursday, of course. First, before that, on Tuesday, we will be back with your next WWE episode. Clearly, there will continue to be a ton to discuss there. So a two-episode regular week. Plus, we will have your NXT deadline instant analysis coming as soon as that show goes off the air Saturday night. So it'll be a three-episode week in total. All of that coming up next week, right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. On the way out, let's hit you with some of those reminders. First, that this podcast is all about Defy. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And I know we already have one because it's on my paper and we will discuss that 
on Tuesday. Please also don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show. Didn't have time today. Also didn't really get any for AEW this week, but we'll make sure we get plenty on the air next week. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to the major television shows and exclusive news posts every Friday, plus some extras here and there again. Buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It has been a hell of a week. Make sure you do not miss their Survivor Series Instant Analysis. Make sure you do not miss the Survivor Series War Games Instant Analysis. Make sure you do not miss the CM Punk Deep Dive, which is probably one of the best segments I think we've ever done here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That's on the Saturday and Tuesday episodes, respectively, both in the archives. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.